When I had my last breakup, I was in a frenzy of planning. I listened to podcasts, read books, made a to-do list of challenges to get myself through this process. I was on a mission to move on in the shortest amount of time possible. It turns out that there's an even bigger resource I wasn't tapping into. Welcome to Self-Help Junkie, the podcast where we explore the world of personal development through the eyes of book enthusiasts. I'm your host, Erica Ng, a communication coach and your resident bookworm. This season, we'll be focused on developing our romantic skills. But before we dive into the conversation with our guest, let's get a one-minute summary of the book. You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero is not your average self-help book. It's written by a badass. Jen has lived a life of adventure from playing in a band called Crotch to backpacking across the Utah trails, encountering Loincloth Man. And she's distilled all her life lessons into some simple steps to help unleash the power of the universe. There are five sections. Part one, how you got this way. All about identifying the beliefs and thought patterns that have been holding you back. Part two, how to embrace your inner badass, adopting a badass mentality in which you trust your own abilities and let go of your fears. Part three, how to tap into the mother load, the law of attraction and practical exercises for manifesting the things you want in life. Part four, how to get over your BS already, tackling some of the most common obstacles to success, such as procrastination, self-doubt, fear of failure. Part five, how to kick some ass, a roadmap for living your best life from taking risks, pursuing your passions and surrounding yourself with positivity and support. And with that, let's get to our guest. Today, we have a very special guest on. Her name is Dorothy Johnson, and she is going to be walking us through some of the most difficult parts of dating and relationships, breakups. Uh, So Dorothy, you are a breakup coach. What does that mean? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times when people first hear breakup coach, they think, oh my gosh, you help people break up. Mm. And that isn't necessarily what I do. When I say breakup coach Dorothy, I'm really talking about helping people get over their ex in three months or less. Mm. So I'm really helping those individuals who are just completely struck with heartbreak and feel like their whole world around them just crumbled. Like they had everything they wanted and all of a sudden someone else made a decision and it (sighs) severely impacted their life and they're really struggling. Um, And this really comes from in 2016, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this in a little bit, but in 2016, I went through a really traumatic breakup of of my own where I was dating a guy for about seven years. So pretty much all of my 20s. And he was going to dental school. I was in grad school. I got my big girl job. He graduated. We both moved back to Florida in the United States. And I was just so excited because this is where I wanted to be. This is who I wanted to be with. I thought, you know, we're finally starting our life together. Mm -hmm. We get to like get engaged and get married and have babies. And we talked about it all and everything. And um, I was away on a trip in Chicago for work and he broke up with me on the phone and I was just extremely devastated. I, it wasn't that I didn't see it coming because it's not like everything was just so perfect and then out of the blue, he broke up with me. We were struggling with some things, but in my mind, I'm like, we love each other. We stick it out. We get through it. We work through it. We've been together for so long. Of course, we're going to work through it. Right. Um, But then when I came back like a month later, I ended up actually moving into a new apartment with just my suitcase. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of that with (laughs) this book. Um, I 
I went back a month later to get my things. And when I did that, he had piled all of my stuff into the front room of this house that we had gotten together. And there was a new girl living in the house since I had left. Yeah. So it was just very difficult. It's not like, I mean, I was already devastated and heartbroken and just, you know, rock bottom. But then it, it compiled with anger and resentment and just, I was just seething. And so right. I did everything. When I mean everything, I Googled the internet every single day asking, how do you get over your ex? How do you forgive and let go? How do you move on when your ex moved on quickly? And I was doing all the things. It wasn't that I wasn't, like I was reading the self-help books. Mm-hmm. I was Googling and doing all of this stuff. I was meditate, meditating, journaling, working out. I got in the best shape of my life. I was traveling. I was staying busy. And it seems healthy. Like it mm-hmm. genuinely seems healthy and there are healthy aspects and components to it. But a year and a half later, from the outside looking in, I looked like I was doing really great. But internally, I was just mm-hmm. dying inside. I was still right. so angry, so resentful. I was making decisions based off of like, what I thought my ex would see and then want me back. I was in a new relationship and I was comparing that person to my ex and still like holding that new person accountable for things that my ex did and he had nothing to do with any of that. So I knew something wasn't right. Um, And then I had learned uh, through a different modality, which we can talk about later, but I had learned that thoughts create feelings. Um, And when I learned that, it really changed my life and changed my world in terms of, wow, the only reason I'm feeling so much anger and resentment is because of these stories that I have that I've made up. Like, clearly he never loved me, which is probably not Mm. true. I'm sure he loved me at some point throughout the seven years together. Um, Things like that. And it just, once I realized that and I started putting pieces together, together, I was like, wow, this is something that needs to be shared. Like this is For a whole sure. process. And, and I kind of use the words, I do, I did everything wrong. So you don't have to. <laughs> um, so it, in that moment, that's kind of when I really knew that I was here in this lifetime to help people with heartbreak, to help people who like heartbroken humans that didn't want the the breakup in the first place. Right. And of course I help other people who like, oh, I did the breaking up and then I wanted my ex to come back and right. they didn't and, and stuff like that. So of course I help all different kinds of breakups and divorce, but a lot of times I'm speaking primarily to the person who really just didn't want it, who wants their ex back, who feels like their life is ending without that person. Right. Yeah. I I think that story would resonate with so many people. Like throughout that, I was, yeah, lots of flashbacks to moments where I've had bad breakups where you're like, I'm going to be productive. I'm going to make them feel this way about me afterwards. But if that is how you are doing all of those things, it completely changes your actions and it doesn't actually help you towards healing. So, yeah. yeah well, and it's mainly like prob- problem solving for symptoms instead of the mm-hmm. root cause, right? Like, it, and, and even some of those things, they help like distracting yourself. When you distract yourself, you get a short-term benefit of not thinking about the ex, not having those stories replay. So therefore you're not feeling those feelings. But when you distract yourself from something, it doesn't mean the root cause just goes away, which is the main stories that you've got to really look at and understand and see and move through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I look back to some of my worst breakups and those are the ones where I tend to distract myself more. And my last breakup was probably my, the one I was most proud of, um, going through all the different stages of grief instead of bombarding myself with like, why are you thinking about him again? Being like, Oh, that Mm -hmm. is denial. Oh, that is anger that's popping up and just letting yourself feel and go through all those different stages. Okay. So let's jump into the book. So the book that you've brought in, you said that you've listened to this 40 times. So let's rewind back to the first time that you came across it. Where were you and why did this book attract you? I'm getting emotional thinking about it. I didn't even like Mm -hmm. expect this to happen, but I, so I haven't thought about this moment in so long. Um, I was still in that relationship when I found this book Mm -hmm. and I don't remember the day that I like picked it up or first started listening to it, but I do remember a chapter where I was sitting in the new house that we got in Florida. We had both moved back. I was sitting in the new house where we were actually sitting outside of the new house in the backyard and he was reading a book and I was listening to this book and the dog was running around. Our dog Lucy was running around and the part, the section of the book that I was in was when she was talking about the bird hitting the glass. I don't know if you remember this, but she talks about a bird getting caught indoors and the glass door is right there. And the bird keeps going, trying to like go through the glass door while Jen Sincero is saying, Hey, I've like slid the door to the right. And like, if you just move to the right a little bit, you can like get outside. And it was really fascinating because I just, I, I felt so, I resonated with it a lot and I had originally resonated with it a lot in terms of like my job at the time. Mm. I was feeling like there's something that I'm not seeing. There's something that I'm missing. And it's very ironic because I was then trying to describe that to my current partner. And he's like, yeah, I don't get it. I'm not like, he wasn't into self-help. It was like, went over his head. He was like, yeah, I don't, sure, cool, like whatever. And so he didn't really resonate with it. It didn't really land with him, but it was just, it kept coming back to me, kept coming back to me. And so it's funny now thinking back because that was really like the start of the exploration of my career and what I was really put here in this world to do because I used to do data analytics and I loved it. Like there was nothing wrong with it. I, I really, I genuinely love data analytics and I, I loved helping large organizations, help their employees love their jobs and things like that. But there was something missing and I knew that it didn't feel quite right, but I couldn't put my finger on what it was. Right. So, mm -hmm. And and that's interesting that it started with your career. I think most of us grow up thinking like, okay, we're going to do this degree so that I can get this job. So it's much easier to, when something doesn't feel right in your life to be like, okay, this might be it. Whereas social and emotional needs, we don't focus so much on in the Western world. It was really interesting because it was, and it wasn't, I, cause I went to school and I thought I knew, I saw what I was going to be doing, but it was when I was supposed to be moving to Florida with him that I couldn't mm-hmm. find a remote job, you know, mm-hmm. like you start picking up on signals of like resistance. And I thought it was the job when in reality it was the relationship, <laughs> Yeah. So then you were applying it to your work and then did it take the breakup to 
then realize, okay, maybe I need to apply this to relationship as well. Yeah. So the breakup happened pretty soon after that moment that I had just described to you. So I had gone to Chicago maybe two weeks after that point. And that's when the breakup happened. And so that's when the overdrive of listening to this book kicked in Mm. because it was, it was my introduction to self-help. I didn't have any other resources. It didn't feel as mainstream as it feels now. Yeah. I don't know, but it could have been, and I just didn't see it, right? Right. But I just, the way that she spoke, everything she talked about, it almost was like my hand guide to mm. my breakup. And I just started taking things and applying it to the breakup because i that's where all the emotional stuff felt so heavy. Like I... I talk about this a lot in terms of like my podcast and when I'm speaking to my people, it felt like I was waking up to a nightmare every single morning. Like... I had finally gotten what I thought I wanted, which was Mm -hmm. this home, living in Florida, near family, all this stuff. And all of a sudden, I find myself waking up in Wisconsin in my best friend's bed with no home, without my dog, without my person. Right. I'm about to commute an hour and a half into work on a train to do a job that I'm not sure that that's what I want. It was just... It, that's just no way to live. And so mm. the only hope that I had was her book. And I remember, remember I'm Googling too. Like, it's mm-hmm. not like I'm not searching for things. I was Googling like breakups and all this stuff. And I remember Googling on the podcast app. That's where my podcast came from was because I was like, why is there not like a resource <laughs> that's like Jen Sincero, but on right. the podcast app times a million that's all applied specific to breakups. And right. so- that's what inspired the podcast, but that wouldn't come for years later. But I was listening to this book on my hour and a half commute to and from work. And every time she would give you something, I would like pause it and I would journal it. And I Mm. went through all these exercises like a million times. And meditation was one of them that I loved. And like I used her visualization of the light coming through and all of that. And those were the only moments of peace that I could really find in such a like traumatic time of my life. Right. So I feel like I went back to that book for almost, I, I had it on repeat for a really long time. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about that meditation. So that's something that I came across, not through the book, but through other means. Um, I had done some meditation. I did like 30 days worth of it and then um, do it periodically now. But the visualization, it's always been something that's been a little bit difficult for me because I am a skeptic when it comes to mm-hmm. meditation. So I, I read some other book where they were talking about just more being present and in the moment and actually feeling your body. And I really connected with that. But this visualization thing, I was like, this is a bit hokey. And I've been living in Bali for a little while. <laughs> um So yeah, I mean, so my experience, the first time I really felt a difference was actually in a therapy session where she was just like, I can see that you're very anxious and getting worked up. So let's just try this, like allow, it was almost like releasing and allowing something else to take over. Like you're not in, you don't have to be in control now. You can just let that go. Um, So yeah, I mean, how was that for you? You brought up that specific exercise. Yeah. I mean, meditation was a game changer for me and I'm not a skeptic. Um, Mm. I grew up in a very odd way, I think, in comparison to a lot of individuals where Mm. my father didn't, he doesn't really affiliate with a specific religion. And when I grew up, 
he, and I should say that I grew up with parents who were older. So my parents didn't have me until they were 40, but they, um, they had me try out different religions every six months. So every six months I was like, I was migrating to a new religion. So we tried, you know, being Mormon, we tried native American religion, Catholic, Lutheran, like we, we hopped from different religion to religion to try different religions on and then decide if I want to have a faith. And if I do, then I get to decide what that faith is. Mm-hmm. I I had been introduced to different forms of spirituality, which I think tie hand in hand with meditation pretty easily. For sure. And then my mom is very like not not outwardly spiritual, but she would talk about visualization in a lot of different ways when I was growing up. So in both my mom and dad, really, they'd say, visualize this next race. Like when I was in swimming, make sure you're visualizing touching the finish line, like the the jump off. Like they were very adamant about that. So when it comes to visualization, I have always used it as a tool to help myself perform better. Like this sounds so ridiculous, but even like things as simple as like beer pong. I don't know if you ever played beer pong. (laughs) Of course. Sometimes when it's like a stressful situation, I just visualize the, the ball going into the cup. And like, that's what I'm doing while I'm like, I visualize it before I ever even start playing it. Maybe that's what I'm missing in my beer pong game then. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? So I've tested it and I've played with it a lot and I, I don't know. I also think I have this trust in something bigger than me mm-hmm. that helps with the meditation visualization piece. So when she said that, it was almost a reminder to get back into it. Right. It was almost the, but it was also formed as this is a meditation. And I think the structure of that and telling us to do it, you know, every day, multiple times a day, as often as you can, was a reminder of oh, this is a practice that I can implement Mm. every single day, multiple times a day, and I feel better. So at this point, why not? I had nothing to lose. And I was willing to, I knew if it worked with smaller things when I was younger, maybe it would work with bigger things like my breakup. And at the time I'm visualizing like, a happy relationship. I'm visualizing a new job. I'm visualizing a home to live in. I'm, but I had to start really simple. And that's what I loved about her stuff is it's really like the first foot in the door and it's approachable and it's easy to understand. I mean, I don't know if you've ever read a Dr. Joe Dispenza book Mm -hmm. that I love Dr. Joe Dispenza and he goes into all the science. So for the people who are like, I need all the science, I feel like for you, a skeptic would love all the science behind visualization and like meditation. And he goes, but for the people who just need the foot in the door to actually get the concept to apply it, this book had just done such a good job of here, just do this one thing today. and it got you into a practice and it didn't make it seem like, oh my gosh, we have to sit there for hours in silence. And she's so approachable. Is she she not? I I feel like I'm her friend now, which is kind of weird. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. I say this all all the time to my people when we're talking about relationships, because relationships are just thoughts about another person. Right. And so I'm like, I had a relationship with Jen Sincero and she didn't even know my name. She didn't even know who I was, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, one of the things that you were touching on there is it's really structured. Um, and I appreciate that as well, uh, because especially if you're in a stressful situation, like 
trying to figure out your life and what you want and how to get that, you don't have the mental energy to really break it down. Um, so having really clear steps. Another thing that I think is different from a lot of the other self-help books is she repeats things. So I think at the end of every chapter, she's like, love yourself. And that is such a important reminder. A lot of the times self-help is like, do this thing. Okay. Moving on to the next chapter, do this thing. And I, I love that repetitiveness because it is a practice. Like you said, with meditation, with any of this, um, you get better and better at it over time. Uh, so part of the book that I really resonated with was the making a decision and sticking to it. As a person who loves to research the crap out of everything, listen to like every podcast, read three books, and then still not make a decision. I think this is something that uh, amongst my friends as well, I can see would be really helpful in pushing you in the door. Uh, is that something that either you or some of your clients have connected with? Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. I talk about decisions all day. I just did like a five-day training mm -hmm. and three of those five days are very much centered around decisions. And I won't outwardly say that we're talking about decisions until like we're in it, mm -hmm. but is very much about decisions and the difference between your prefrontal cortex and your primitive brain and how do you follow through with your prefrontal cortex when your primitive brain is like, no, but we need to seek pleasure, avoid pain, <laughs> reserve right. resources. Right. Um, and I talk about like a decide, commit, and practice process. And that really, it started with this Jen Sincero book about decisions. And I think the coolest, I, I want to call out one of the biggest lessons that I learned from Jen Sincero in this book about decision-making for me, and I'm curious as to like what your biggest takeaway from mm -hmm. decisions is, um, was the fact that when you want a new result in your life, when you want to create something that you've never created before, the decision to get there is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think that I had learned to kind of do what you talked about where it's a research a decision, feel really good about your decision before you make it. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because the decisions that I feel really good about making are the comfortable ones. Yeah. And like, that's a short-term pleasure. That's like a, oh, it's comfortable for me to say no to investing in myself when I'm not used to investing a large quantity of money in me. But that short-term discomfort gets me long-term gain because it's something I've never done before it gets me a new result, right? Like when we do something new, we're going to create a new result, good or bad, we're not sure, right? right? But I think that that is one of the biggest things that I took away from her book that was really helpful for me in a lot of dis different scenarios. One of the very first scenarios that I applied it to was finding a new apartment. Hmm. I had been living with a roommate in Chicago before I moved to Florida and we got this house together. Um, and I was used to splitting rent. And so I could get like a nicer apartment for less money. And I remember knowing that I wanted a nicer apartment. Like I could see it in my in my mind. I could visualize mm -hmm. it. I knew what it looked like. But I had no idea how I was going to afford it. It wasn't that my income had increased. Like my expenses almost felt like they doubled mm. because I was used to splitting everything. Um, and so I was a little bit concerned about how that was going to happen. But I remember her talking about her car example. Do right. you remember this? Yes. And for me, it was like, okay, I can get something that is a little bit less than what I was thinking I wanted, like not as nice, but it'll be cheaper. And then that's comfortable for me. 
And instead, I remember I went for exactly what I wanted. It was double what I was used to paying and I had no idea how I was going to pay it. Mm -hmm. But I knew for certain that putting myself in that environment was going to change the game for me in so many ways of loving where I was going home to, loving where I lived, Mm. inviting people over, figuring out how to become the version of me who affords this. Like that's so important. Um, And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. I loved that apartment. It's still to this day is probably my most favorite place I lived. Um, And I figured out how to do it. And the beauty of that is I not only figured out how to afford that apartment, it then increased like my net worth Mm. because I learned how to make more money in a shorter period of time. And I was showing myself what was possible. It was the beginning of my money journey because I had a bunch of stuff wrapped up in that as well with the breakup of like, he was going to be a dentist. I thought he was going to take care of things financially. And so I remember getting to this place where I was like, I want to make more money than a dentist. Like I want to figure out how to have the lifestyle that I wanted on my own Mm -hmm. so that if someone comes to join me, like they can join me, but they're never going to be I'm never going to be dependent on them right. for to have the lifestyle that You're I want. You're going to be so that independent was like, even in right. your relationship. Yeah. And so I think that that decision-making that she talks about really changed the – because just that one decision from getting that apartment that I wouldn't have done if I hadn't read Jen Sincero's book, that changed so many parts of my life. Mm-hmm. Even my ability to be a coach, I – that was a significant investment and that decision was extremely uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. I had a lot of people telling me not to do it. And I just can't imagine my life not (laughs) not doing this. Right. You know? Right. And I like the way that you were talking about that because I think there are people who live above their means, but rather than realizing like, hey, I need to change something about my life so that I can live this dream life that I want. I think your way of doing it, of like recognizing that this is something that you need to focus your energy on, but also saying, Hey, I will also invest, I think, especially in a home and a place that you feel relaxed in and that you can actually regain your energy and like have that social life, that support system. And I do want to preface that with, you don't have to do it the way that I did it. Mm-hmm. Like if someone's listening, you don't have to do it the way that I did it. I, I did it a little bit backwards in the fact that I went for it before I had the understanding of how I was going to be able to afford it. Mm-hmm. But you totally can figure out the funds before you actually go for it. Right. And that's another way of doing it. And it's the same, and you can be just as excited and just as proud of just making the decision. I want to live in a nicer apartment. I'm going to figure out how to double my income so I can live in a nicer apartment instead of getting the apartment and then figuring out. That's just my MO. Right. I just keep doing that in life. <laughs> I mean, you got to just, I think for me as a person who overthinks a lot, I think that's something that is admirable, that bravery, that courage of like, hey, I'm going to figure it out. I believe in myself enough to take that next step. It's so important because it shows the universe that you mean business, that you're in it. Because you can't just, I mean, it's co-creation. We can't just thought work or like feel good or just um, think our way into mm-hmm. creating the results that we want in our life. It, it's paired with action. You mm-hmm. have to take massive action. And when we're sitting in indecision and paralyzed by that indecision and we create decision debt, it's not giving the universe anything to play with. We're just like standing in one spot, expecting the universe to move something instead of moving ourselves so that the universe can start moving with you. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that to me in a bit more detail? So you were saying that 
you need to start doing things for things to start flowing. I think I am talking more about when you want something specific. Mm. So let's say, I mean, I deal with breakups and dating a lot, right? right? So if someone comes to me and they're like, I want to find my person, but I'm not willing to like let go of this last person and we're still talking and we're still entertaining that, right. it's showing, it, to me, that's like, a lack of commitment. Because when you're in a committed marriage, you're not making out with ex-boyfriends. So right. I talk a lot about believing new things. And when you're committed to believing that your person is out there, you're not making out with old beliefs of, you know, I'm never going to find this person and this person doesn't exist and no one's as good as my ex. You're not making out with those beliefs. Like you are right. all in on this new one. And so when I talk about making decisions, if you just sat there and expected the universe to like deliver this person to the the front door without taking any action or making a decision of I'm going to decide to the first thing I'm going to try is matchmaking and then I'm going to try these dating apps and then I'm going to try this. I had a client just the other day it was so good because she we were looking at her experience of finding her ex and she's like her I have found this ex. He's so like, he was so great in all these things. There's no way I'm going to be able to find mm. another person like him. And I'm like, okay, so tell me, how did you find him? And she's like, oh my gosh, it was the best experience ever. I was on the dating apps. I was, I got a matchmaker. I invested a bunch of money to like do this, mm. that, and the other. And, and I'm like, notice that. And how did you feel when you were doing those things? And she's like, powerful. And I'm wow. like, when you felt powerful, like, why did you feel powerful? And she's like, well, because there's no way this wasn't going to work. There was no way that I was going to walk away right. from these experiences and not find someone right. that had everything she wanted. And I'm like, that energy, that thought, feeling, and action process looks very different than the one that you're living in right now, right? right? The one you're living in right now is... I don't believe that I'm going to be able to find this person ever again, which makes me feel devastated. And when I feel devastated, I sit and spin in rumination. I worry about my future. I'm not taking action to put myself out there. I didn't hire a matchmaker. I'm not on the dating apps, all of that, right? Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes when we're stuck in a negative think, feel, act cycle or stuck in like a rumination, spinning, indecision, decision debt, like all of that, right. the best thing you could do for yourself is to make a bold action. <laughs> like yeah. if you don't want to do the thought work around it, like that's fine, but like take a bold action and do something bold. And for me in that situation that we were talking about, my, that bold action for me was to bet on myself and get myself this apartment that I mm. knew I would feel really good in and was a good spot for me. And I was going to figure out how to afford it. And technically I could afford it. It was just like really tight. You know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's more than you mentally wanted to afford mm -hmm. for that apartment. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Back to the indecision. I think that when I was younger, I didn't think of it as indecision. I kept them around as friends, right? Like, even though we broke up, we want to continue having our friendship when in reality, you have one too many drinks and you end up making out with them again. And you, I look back and I, I knew I wanted that. I wanted that to happen because it was comfortable. Um, mm -hmm. when I, after like many, many breakups, I finally came to the role of, I need to cut off all contact, like social media. I don't even want to look at your stuff because I know myself on those lonely nights, I will look at your pictures and mm -hmm. your new girlfriend. Um, and mm 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult for people to do. So is that something that you recommend to your clients? Like make the decision it's done, cut it off. Yes and no, but I think it's different for everyone. I think the no contact rule is an overutilized mm. tool. Um, and I love that it works for people. Like mm-hmm. when it's working for you, use it and be so proud of yourself for being able to use that. But do not beat yourself up if you or have like a lot of negative self-talk if you accidentally break your no contact rule that you had set. Like, right. And don't use no no contact as like a buffering mechanism of, oh my God, do I go no contact? Do I not go no contact? Like if you find yourself like dilly-dallying in that, like we're not getting to the root cause. Or we're not addressing anything super important here. I see people get over their ex with no contact. Mm-hmm. I see people get over their ex without no contact. And the main tool that I use is, I, I well, not the main tool, but one of the main teachings that I teach is about desire and attachment. Mm-hmm. And getting over your ex is really about reducing desire for that person and reducing your attachment to them for your future. Mm-hmm. So to do that, no contact can be used, but it doesn't have to be. And I think I see the difference. I have a coach colleague who helps people with binge eating. And so I use the example of binge eating of, someone who has a food in their house they can that they typically binge eat they can work on reducing the urge to binge and reducing the desire for that mm. food to binge and then they can have that food in the house and not be concerned about it or they can take the food out of their house and then therefore they don't even have it in their home and they don't have to worry about it and so right it, the same thing goes for your axes. Right. You can take it completely out of your house, but I mean, you're still going to be able to go to the grocery store and see it if you want to. It just takes the extra effort. Right. Or you could work at reducing desire for your ex and not even have the desire to right. look at the social media. That's, and so, and sometimes it's a combination of both, right? Like in the beginning, maybe you go no contact yes. to really help with that. And then after you do that, then you dabble with like whatever's next you can do a combination of the two. There's no right or wrong. I think we have a lot of rules in breakups, Mm -hmm. I think just by society, but I think that it's not necessary or required because I just, I help so many people who are co-parenting or people who work with their exes and the no contact isn't available to them. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, I think that's a really great way of looking at these hard and fast rules, right? Like in our world of, content. People like to oversimplify everything when in reality, it's very nuanced. And for myself, it worked partially because I was coming from a very scientific view. I was like, my body's going through withdrawals right now. I cannot have any contact with this Mm -hmm. person. Yeah, Um, for real though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that idea of reducing desirability, I'm curious, how do you do that? Is that like listing out all the things you didn't like about the person? Or- <laughs> I mean, that's a start. That's a start. Um, so desire is created by your thoughts. So mm-hmm. the like the, my best example that I love giving is ice cream. So when I describe ice cream to you and I say, oh my gosh, it's my favorite food. It's ooey gooey. It melts in my mouth. Mm-hmm. I love the chocolatey chunks with like the caramel. Like you start building desire for ice cream. Sure. I have created a lot of desire for ice cream. It's very desirable when I describe it that way. Versus when I describe ice cream as, you know, ice cream, simply sugar and milk. Mm. 
And all of a sudden I'm like, ugh, that does not sound good. I have the visualization of like sugar and milk mixing together. And I'm like, no part of me wants to eat that. It's a lot less desirable. Both of those thoughts are optional. Both of them are equally as true. Mm-hmm. One creates desire and one reduces desire. So we learn to do the same thing with our exes, right? So in your mind, your ex might be saying, oh, he was the perfect person though. And it's equally as true as he was the perfect person, but just not for me, right? right? And finishing that sentence, zooming out and looking at the big picture, it doesn't mean that you have to make your person, like your ex out to be this bad person. You don't have to point right. out all of these terrible things that you don't like about them. But when we are honest with ourselves, like, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't the one for me because we're not together. Right. I want someone who wants to be with me. You know, he he was bigger than life, but not bigger than my life, right? It's those phrases that you hold on mm. to that create so much desire for someone that are optional and you're not telling yourself the whole truth. That makes a lot of sense. And it goes back to something that you said earlier about the power of thoughts and how thoughts create emotions. So comes full circle. Right. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because, um, I know that she talks, Jen talks about this in her book. I don't know if it was as direct as the way that I talk about it, Mm -hmm. but I remember her talking about, um, somewhere in there about, being careful with the words that you use with Mm -hmm. yourself. And I think a lot of people will display it in that way, but there's so many like tricks that you can use with your thoughts for different things. And I think desire is one of them. And I think it's a skill we should all learn because once you learn how to create less desire for your ex, you know how to increase and decrease desire for not only people, Ah. but also like things and food and money and like all of this stuff. It's really neat. That That is very interesting because I think for me, I've always thought about if I don't want to do something like gymming, I've always paired it with something that I enjoy or made it more easy for me to get there. But I haven't really, like, I don't desire the gym any more than I did previously. So if you were to break down the steps of how to make things more desirable, whether it or more or less desirable. Um, how would you do that? Is that journaling, meditation? The steps that are just like glaringly obvious to me right now is really looking at why it's not desirable to you. So mm-hmm. like the gym being a good example of like, why is the gym not desirable to me? What are the thoughts that I'm saying to myself about the gym that don't make it desirable? Because there's plenty of people who do Ooh, find it desirable. Yeah, yeah, right? So Number one, look at why it's not desirable to me. Question those beliefs. Mm -hmm. Like also, it reminds me of the example of like morning people. Are Mm. you a morning person? I have become a morning person (laughs) recently. Okay, yeah. So this is a really fascinating one to me too, because again, it kind of goes hand in hand with desire around who are you becoming? Mm. And someone who's a morning person has a strong desire for the morning. They're, they have good reason as to why they get up and they enjoy that time with themselves. They enjoy watching the sunrise. They enjoy, like, they don't do it because they hate it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Or else it wouldn't, or else it wouldn't happen long-term. Same thing with marathon runners. Like right. if they hated marathons, they wouldn't do it. Right, right. Yeah. That switch to being a morning person was very strange because I've always looked at morning people and was like, "Mm, something wrong with you, like psychopathic. Why would you torture yourself like this? Um, But it was actually 
not wanting to drink and go out anymore was the mm-hmm. big change and being like, what is there to do at night that couldn't do in the morning? And I feel better if I go to bed earlier. Yeah. 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 So I feel better. Right. So I think it's, I think it's three steps is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Step one is to understand why you why you desire something mm-hmm. or why you don't desire it, whatever, whichever way you're going. So if you desire your ex still, figure out why you desire your ex still, question its validity, mm-hmm. and then check with people like looking and thinking about the version of you who is over your ex, the version of you who is a morning person, the version of you who who do, does like the gym. What does she believe about those things? What does she believe about the gym and morning time? And like, what does she believe about herself when she is a morning person? And and are you believing those things now about yourself? Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And one thing that I wanted to ask is that with self-help, it tends to be very focused on the self and like what you're thinking. It, do you also recommend your clients to reach out to their friends or like build a support system? Oh yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily tell them to reach out to friends, family, like of course, absolutely do that. But mm-hmm. most of the time my people are already doing that mm-hmm. and their people are sick of them, like absolutely <laughs> oh, sick dear. of them. They're like, they're like, you've been talking about this forever. So like I have a uh. built-in system for that and I build in what's called the Braveheart community. And so it's a community of a bunch of heartbroken humans who are working on healing heartbreak or alumni who have already healed heartbreak, building that bigger and better life. And so it's like, it's a very safe space. I I like to call it marshmallow vibes of like this, right? It's a safe space where you get to, you're really seen and held and valued and you come because I think in breakups, your problems, it's hard to talk about them. Sometimes you're like the, the problem that I'm having is that I'm just constantly scrolling his stupid social media, comparing myself to his new girlfriend. And I'm like upset about it and I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. And having a space to come where people actually get that Mm -hmm. and understand that and can help you through that is so different, I think, than going to your mom or your dad or your sister or your friends who have heard you say that you do that. And they're like, but just stop. Right. Can you just not do that? Right. And then same thing with like celebrating. There's so many things to celebrate within a breakup and a divorce. And I, some people go all out and have reverse bachelorette parties. And then some people (laughs) like they'll come to the group and they're like, I just went my entire first day of not thinking about my ex. And that's huge, right? But like, if you tell your best friend that, like, it's kind of like, she's like, Yay! But like, does it really? Do you really get it? Like, does it land? It depends on the person, right? Like, if they've been through a lot of breakups, they're like, "Yes, I remember that stage." But if not, like, some of my friends who've dated the same person since they were in high school, they've been married forever. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we're coming to the end of the podcast, and I have one final question for you: Who would you recommend this book to, and who would you not recommend this book to? I think that's a great question. And when you first talked about this earlier on the call today, I was like, gosh, is there anyone that I wouldn't (laughs) recommend the book to? And I think that I would recommend this book pretty much to anyone, specifically people who, let's start with who I wouldn't recommend the book to. Who I wouldn't recommend the book to is someone who doesn't care about self-helpery. If you Mm -hmm. don't care about self-help, if you don't care about... um, looking at different perspectives, then it's a no, like that's fine. Or 
I and I find it fascinating that you're such a science-driven person. It seems like, and yeah. Did, and did you like it? Because I almost I would did. tell people, if you want all the details, I don't know if you want this because this book covers so many topics, but mm. is brushing the surface mm-hmm. and she goes deep and she gets, but again, very approachable. So I think that goes hand in hand with like who this is for. I mean, I think all teenagers should be reading this yes. book to be quite honest. Yes. Like I think all teenagers, high schoolers and, you know, people in college, like I feel like this is such a great book for anyone who's just like starting to get into self-help. Um, who needs an approachable best friend who can like hold their hand through it. I feel like that right. this book is like really good for that. Right. Yeah. I think like you said, she brushes over a lot of things. And as a scientific person, I do like digging in to be like, what hormones is, is triggering this <laughs> thing. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I, I feel like I know her cause she shares so many stories and her journey is, like she just has a lot of the same thoughts that I would have had in that same situation. So it might be like a background thing or just like a way of thinking, but I really related to her in that way. And it's funny. She makes it funny. And like, if you're going through a really thick, heavy time in your life, whether that's a breakup or a divorce or, you know, a death, she makes things funny and lighthearted in a moment where you thought you could never smile again. And I think that that's really valuable and I'm, I am forever grateful for her for that reason. Yeah. She gave me hope in a moment that I felt like my life was like over. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you're bringing up a really good point. Like this is great for someone who's starting out like a teenager. I think this would be really helpful, but, or someone who's just having a really stressful time and they're like, I just need someone to tell me do A, B and C. And I think even if you only do a chapter a month, you can get a lot out of it. Um, where something that's a bit deeper, you may not have the mental capacity (laughs) to be breaking all of that down. Yes. Like in the, in the moment of my breakup, I couldn't have read the Dr. Joe Dispenza book, like love him, love his work, love that book so much. Couldn't have read it in the midst of that. Right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure. And I think I understand not only breakups better, but also the power of words and how to like figure out desirability for everyday things in my life. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been so fun. Like I said earlier, so grateful for you for reaching out and thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And if people are looking for you, where can they find you? Yeah, of course. Um, so if you're a podcast listener, which you might be if you're listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. um, I have a podcast called the How to Get Over Your Ex podcast. And so um, that's the best place to start. They are short, you know, 10 to 20 minute episodes. I give you a story with the problem, the solution, call to action items. So next steps and conclusion. I'm not much of a chatter or conversationalist. I just like to be like, here's the problem and here's your solution and here's your next that. steps. So that is a podcast full of episodes like that, all about breakups and divorce. Um, I also have a five-day training if you want to take that podcast and apply it. And then if you want to work with me you know, individually, I have a program called Get Over Your Ex in Three Months or Less. And we work together over a three-month period to get over your ex and build a bigger and better life. Perfect. I hope that yeah. yes, more people find you, the people who need you. 
Well, I am so grateful to just be able to be a part of everyone's journey and help them along that way because I wish I would have had me in 2016. (laughs) I wish I had you through some of my breakups as well. (laughs) You made it to the end. I hope you learned something to get you closer to your badassdom. It would really help me out if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. But the most important thing you can do is keep listening. If you have thoughts or tips you'd like to share, please do at Self Help Junkie Pod on Instagram, Twitter, or Gmail. I'll see you guys next time.